can't say it was easy to go through that process, but what it came down to for me was integrity to what I'd said to my initial shareholders, brought those people and their partners along for this on this journey. And they stopped for a moment in time and invested in me as a person and my idea and my word. And it came down to that. And I turned around and I said, all right, I'm not going to shut the business down. We're going to revalue the business. We're going to recapitalize the business and we're going to change the message using the existing brand and the existing DNA. And we're going to build on this as a story. This is your host, Martin Kwak. I started this podcast and am founding Transformation Ventures to transform business and the way we practice capitalism to capitalism 2.0. In this podcast, I interview unique founders to explore what I have found to be the first principles of grit, namely authenticity and integrity. James, I've been extremely excited about meeting you, your brother, Xavier. I've had such a pleasure working with him. And he might be one of the few people who have had the biggest impact on my life. He invited me to do the Landmark Forum. Since then, my, my life has just been completely transformed. Parts of the output of that is exactly this podcast with Juan right now. So meeting his brother has been on the top of my list. So James, uh, a pleasure to meet you and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, Martin. First of all, it's a real pleasure to be on this podcast with you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's awesome. I'm really looking forward to spending this time talking with you. That's amazing to hear that about brother. Uh, Xavier's my youngest brother, one of four. I'm the oldest. So to hear that is wonderful to know that he introduced you to the Landmark Forum, which is one of the, the things I've done in my life, which has been ultimately incredibly transformational, as you say. And I think it has that profound impact on a lot of people. I very clearly remember the, the time when Xavier was just finished university, was an intern at an ed tech company. And I tried to get a number of people in my family enrolled to do the Landmark Forum. And I remember speaking to Xavier. It was 11.30 at night on a Saturday night. And I'd sort of told him about it. And he was like, oh, okay. And I was like, no, really? And he got something from tone and timbre of my voice. And it was raining outside and he didn't have much money. He was in Exeter. This was in London. And he just turned on a sixpence and said, I'm coming and I'm doing it. And there was something really phenomenal about, you know, having a conversation with somebody where they get something from you that's so powerful for them before it's happened, where they will start to move the future for it. The thing about Landmark is it just it opens up that conversation everywhere else in your life, which is super cool. It sounds like that's made a big impact on your life. Before we go there, James, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and what are you up to? Yeah, so I'm 38. I graduated in biochemistry back in the day and did a couple of years research. And it wasn't really for me working in the lab, although my love of science has never really died. Um, and since then, I've worked in tech and I've worked on a, a number of different technology programs for central government and then went and started working with small startups, technology startups. And I've done that for the last 12 years. Three years ago, I left my last VC-backed company where I was head of product. We built safety platforms for large companies in oil, mining, gas, companies with heavy risk and safety profiles. I left, decided to set up my own company, which is Rise. I've been on that journey for the last few years with Rise. And what we're trying to do with Rise is bring services, not just like Landmark, but meditation, services that make us ultimately as humans 
healthier, more connected, happier, take those services to people or take people to those services, you know, get people closer to the source of being a happier human and what that means. So that's something that we've been working really hard on over the last three years and the journey has changed. We pivoted, things are really good and we're making some really interesting inroads into into that space, which I think we're at the start of a real monumental shift in in how we are as humans, in humanity, as we were talking about earlier. When we look at this in a few hundred years' time, we look back in, in the rearview mirror. We've just gone past the Industrial Re- Revolution and the Digital Revolution. So, you know, we're very much caught up in capitalism 1.0. And we're, as we've talked about before, we're about to go into this capitalism 2.0. And that's a really exciting time to be alive. It is. Every day I wake up, I am just super pumped about being alive. It is so exciting. And when we look back a bit and we look at humanity's existence in time, the time when we've actually been in specialized functions produced by the Industrial Revolution is actually only like a tiny fraction of the many thousands of years that humans actually have existed. For the rest of the time, what we've actually mainly been doing is just flipping around and, and hey, buddy, do you want to go and pick up some berries? Sure, let's go and have some berries. Then you would go pick berries. You'll go for fishing with another couple of friends. And then perhaps you'll go for a swim with another group of friends. So it was actually like a very decentralized, very free way of living. And then we went into industrial revolution. We started specializing. We, we, we tied ourselves down to a spot and... I would argue this is a hiccup in uh, in how it is that we are supposed to live our lives and how we will be living our lives. I am really, really excited about what the future will bring. And I think if you look at the blockchain technological wave, that's going to allow for complete decentralization. Technology just allows us not to be specialized any longer. I can literally design a website after watching a 10-minute video and I can just log on to Figma or whatever and I can design a website. It's just really, really exciting. Coming years we're, we're entering. I can see you're, you're ready to like, let's hear, what do you think? <laughs> I just love this topic at the moment. I did a master's a few years ago in public policy and economics and I've worked for government and I've always just been so fascinated about this, this evolution in capitalism and what we can do better and how it's currently so limit and limiting and how we're so shackled to both specialism and this concept that's, you know, created from the industrial revolution that we should be in work Monday to Friday, nine to five, which is just utter nonsense. It doesn't make sense anymore. And what's really exciting is that we can now sit here and say, okay, how do we want to design a future that looks really good and actually design and create that now, you know, start putting into place because we're enabled to do so to one, not be specialized to have portfolio careers or jobs, to have a passion economy where we might do one job for one day of the week, another job for another day of the week where we're maybe giving back or being a coach or being a therapist. This this whole notion of a workplace is changing, which is for me is fascinating. Are you all in the same office at the moment? Or how are you operating? We're still a very small team. So we're a pre-launch, pre-revenue tech company we look we did launch a consumer platform and we decided to pivot it for a number of reasons so we're now creating a a workplace marketplace that's got a, a fintech layer to it we're a distributed team both commercially and engineering wise we have people in the south part of the uk in the southwest we have somebody in the states 
we're, we're all over the place and we like that. And there, there are things that you have to design into your workplace. You can't let that free flow completely if you want it to work really well. And I've been in an environment where uh, a company has been completely remote and it has been a bit more free flowing and you, you know, you can run into issues in how people communicate or where more to the point where people aren't communicating. So I think if you are building a really distributed or remote workforce, then it's good to really think about how spend as much time designing that as you would with people in the office, you know, really think about communication systems and how people are communicating and what should be said in various channels and allow that to be orchestrated properly. So I think if you can start to create those structures, you can have a really free, we can have a lot of freedom and autonomy within those structures. And then you can build towards a high performance team and also one that's really autonomous and people can go and do what they want to do. You know, the, the, the beauty of remote working is, I'll give you a couple of examples. One of my team is a really great engineer. I mean, he's, he's amazing, but he won't leave his, his house in Devon to work in London or anywhere else. He spends a lot of the week doing mountain biking out in the Devonshire countryside. We run a four-day week at Rise, and we, we, we do that on purpose. And I'd like to get to the point where we're running a three-day week. I think it's really important to let people have that extra time that isn't the weekend to do what they need to do, do the things that make them happy. The remote and flexible workplace is enabling him to do that. That then means that he's really retained. He really comes to work, pumped, creative, really on the ball, really happy. He's in his own zone. He's really happy human. So he brings that to work. And that's, that's perfect for me as a CEO. That's, I can ask for more. So it completely goes both ways as well, which is cool. That, that usually means that things are going in the right way in general. It sounds like that's working really well out for you. Tell me more about what systems do you have in place to orchestrate this? I can't take all of the credit for this. And then we, we, we take a lot of inspiration from people that are doing this well already. You know, the likes of GitHub, GitLab, Basecamp. You know, Basecamp's a, an enormous business in terms of revenue. It's got a team of 56, 13 of which are in their Chicago HQ. But they take a really progressive way of, to their way of working. So, you know, we've they, they've already been through this. So starting a business now in 2020 there's a lot of very recent case studies and literature where you can dive in and see where people have made mistakes and where they've spent five, six years getting to a point where they now have systems in place. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of information out there that you can pick up and learn from to build a really high performing team really quickly. So we obviously use communication channels. We use Slack very heavily. We ensure that very regularly we're getting video calls in between the team. We ensure that monthly we all meet up or the majority of us in the team meet up so that we're getting that time uh, together in person as well. We ensure that we have water cooler moments. But I think, you know, you also have to be really prudent about things like the harder, trickier HR issues that don't go away in business, even if you're running a really nice, flexible workplace. Things like if certain people are taking longer to go on lunch than everybody else, or people are, you know, noticeably starting or joining Slack channels later in the day or earlier and then leaving early. And, you you know, that might leave teams with, why is this guy being, doing shorter weeks? And you have to, you have to be really clear in how you communicate that and ingrain the design for that into the business. So what we've done is just, just made sure we've got a handbook, we've got an online handbook, which clearly describes 
how we should be communicating on Slack, for example, and that how we communicate has an impact on other people in the team and that people can see that, you know, in, in the same way that you have a physical environment, when you have a virtual environment, you know, people are still very high sensing beings and you need to ensure that your actions and joining Slack channels and the way that you're communicating has an impact on those people. So, so we're very careful about starting to evolve a, a framework around that. Tell me more about the employee handbook. The company handbook is um, is essentially a code repository on uh, on on GitHub that then auto deploys via via Netlify, auto deploys into into a website. But anybody can contribute into that GitHub repository and start to amend the process. So it's sort of almost a self evolving process. There is some oversight of it, but you know we have a we have a working policy. And then within that, we have a number of different guidelines. And then I'll give you an example. We've got a policy and guideline around taking time out during the day to run errands, doing exercise, taking a nap or whatever. That policy spells out really clearly. If you're taking additional time out during the day, just making sure that you communicate that to your manager. But also if you're going for, say, a couple of hours in the day, it's worth noting, hey, I'm going out for a bike ride for a couple of hours and I'll be catching that time up on Friday, just so that you maintain that level of openness with the team and they know that, that you're still doing your fair share. So what it does is it creates this, first of all, where people are being open, they're making sure that they're commun- over-communicating with each other, builds a level of trust and it also builds a level of accountability and ownership, which is really important, I think, for, for having people in the team. It means that people can then be autonomous. And when people have got autonomy, they feel empowered to make decisions. They feel trusted and they feel part of a team. And that's if you can get close to that, that's, I think, really important and can go a long way. And what we want to do at Rise is build a team that's very long lasting. And I've seen the opposites of that. I've seen churning companies and that's not a nice place to be. And it's not good for the bottom line either. I think that is really exciting. That aligns very well with with what it is that I would love to see. And I think we all would love to see from companies is taking taking responsibility within that within that domain. Uh, and look, we're, 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 we're seeing, you know, we're seeing lots of much bigger companies really starting to think about this in a really smart way and entire countries. I mean, Sweden have recently said they're moving their entire country to a four day working week. Microsoft have recently trialed this in Japan. You know, there are a number of other companies now that are coming out quite frequently and saying, OK, we're doing a four day working week flexible working. And there's going to be a lot of experimenting in that. And there's going to be a lot of getting it wrong. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot of getting it right. And there's going to be a lot of literature and a lot out there, open source that we can learn from and tap into. And you don't necessarily have to copy that, but you can go into it and use it as a source for inspiring and informing your own framework for a, for a really flexible, progressive mindset in your culture. Mm. How, how do you manage that yourself? Like, how do you manage your time as a CEO and a father? That's a, that's a great question. Um, that is a great question. It's... It requires attention. It requires real application of skill. If you don't have the skill of being aware of where you're falling down, it requires lots of lists. I have a very supportive wife who also has a very good career. She's an executive producer at an arts company. We just have to be really 
over communicative and supportive with each other and really organized shared diaries for example we have when it comes to managing house finances and operations and kids schooling and the endless lists of admin which is you know almost bigger than running a company we have trello boards for that so we get really quite organized about that sort of stuff because the moment you're not organized about your home and your relationship isn't working then business stuff can easily fall down as well so I'm wondering wondering if you're thinking about the word integrity, but when you're behaving with integrity or not, it tends to be fairly holistic. It has a widespread impact. If you're out of integrity or you're not being organized, as look at it a slightly different way, that can have an impact everywhere. If you become more performant, that has an impact everywhere in your health, in your financial well-being, in your work, in your relationships. So Managing my time as a CEO, it just requires be focused on the week, clear about my objectives, and also something that I've really worked hard to learn and I've had a lot of help and is not to, not to take it too seriously, the whole thing, the whole game. Having some perspective about it is really super important to, and, and works with your time because what you don't want to do is fall into this trap where you can where you think that the amount of hours you're going to work is going to be indicative of the outcome. And it's not. And I can tell you that, and I've lived that. And the whole paradigm that you should be doing 100-hour weeks is, is, a, is a dangerous paradigm and dangerous narrative that is pretty much run by high-level investors and city jobs. And it doesn't, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work for a number of reasons. But if you're a CEO... You need to have your sleep and you need to also be doing things that are good for your health. So your exercise and your, your nutrition. So you've got to take a really balanced view on life for your work to be performing and for you to be delivering ROI for your investors. I really can't agree more. I don't leave for lunch breaks. I get lunch delivered to my desk and I sit at my desk and, and work while I'm eating. Because to me, it's, it's a decision between spending time with my kids and my family in the night before they go to bed or going out and being a little social with my colleagues. And it's not that I don't want that, but my my priority is then to spend time with my kids before they go to bed, really. And for some, it, it makes me look like I'm this asocial guy, which is, which is not really the case, but it's rather just weighing priorities and then making actions in line with with my priorities. Sure, setting, so you set your intention and then you you execute. Once you realize there's a sequence of these things and it's that simple, then, then things do start working for you. I think I, I love that, Martin. I love, I love speaking to people who have got that prior, their priorities that way around. You know, I think we're going through a generational shift where certainly my father, my father was a baby boomer. He was born in 1946. He was a construction man, Monday to Friday being at home. Mother was a, was a housewife and looked after us and brought us up. We wouldn't see our dad during the week. And that was standard. He would leave the house at six in the morning, be on the train into London or abroad, and then back by eight at night. So so for that Monday to Friday, we just didn't have that relationship with my father. And I don't say this with any sense of resentment or regret. I'm sad for him that we didn't have that relationship and that he was a victim of the time of history and what work looked like. And it was it sounded very hard, you know, he was working for our future. So he entirely had our interests at heart. I love spending time with my children and 
and building that bond with them and having a real deep interest in bringing them up and forming them as humans. That's part of the joy of being alive. It's really good to hear where people are starting to prioritize that because I think it's, it's so important and can bring a bit more of a 360 view on things that you can bring into your work as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole entire rabbit hole we can jump into here. I could give you the counter argument, not that it's really my point of view, but, you know, as a founder, you really have time for your family. Perhaps you need to set your priorities straight. Maybe is it your business or is it your family? I don't think I want to go there right now. And I completely agree with you. I think you, you can really you can really have it all. I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to jump in into that rabbit hole. But just as a sort of brief answer, I think... You know, the, the counter argument is, is t- always worth having that debate as well, you know, and I do on an ongoing basis have that debate with myself, which is, you know, how are you managing your time? When you start getting close to what your own values and priorities are in life and then communicating them and getting clear on that intention, typically I find that you start to find people that are more aligned to you as well. So, you know, you start to work with people that are more aligned. You attract investment from people that have the same philosophy and value set. The universe starts to conspire with you. I think it's it's always important to take it back to what are your core values and principles? And at what point are you going to feel that you're at conflict with your own values? And I've been there before. I put work ahead of everything else. And ultimately, it would just feel wrong very quickly for me. And it would have such a serious impact on my work that it wouldn't actually, even for me as a CEO or a founder, it wouldn't have a positive impact on my business. That said, sometimes you do have to make exceptions. For example, last week I had to go out and see an investor in New York. You know, we had to move diaries around and I had to go and fly out there for four days. So it's not always, you know, completely I'm here all the time, but it's it's an ongoing debate. It's interesting. Uh, So I'm curious, you speak about the universe conspiring to how, how how did you phrase it the universe conspires with you you know if you put an intention out there to do something then the universe starts working with you and we've seen this in history powerful people who make powerful intentions they change the world people come along with them start to attract energies and we're very quite young in our understanding you know if you're if you're making an intention then putting that intention out there and then really getting behind that then you start to open up a space that you're creating your future. For me, that's been, you know, the things that have helped me being around cool, open-minded people. Number one, that introduced me to to things. Meditation is really important to me. um, And I do that daily. Being open to things like coaching and landmark and NLP are really important as well. Because all of these things allow you to reflect in what is quite a busy, noisy world. Do you have a favorite person a favorite leader that with a strong intention caused the difference in the world oh that's a really good question do i have a favorite person or a favorite leader that with an intention causes a difference in the world i think i've got the, the last bit of that slightly wrong but um i i have a number of really of favorite people you know i just run into so many awesome people when i find how how much they're willing to work with me to to move mountains or to connect on a really authentic level i'm sincerely moved by how people can be in life just last week i met with 
two people in one day, you know, talk to them about where we were going. And they started clearing their entire futures. In other words, you know, they were, they wanted to come on board. And these guys have monumental careers and huge amounts of potential in large companies um, and not give you a single person. But honestly, I think that's my answer. And I think if I was going to choose one person, it would be my wife. It would be Anna. You know, she is, Anna did the Landmark Forum in 2008 and her father did the Landmark Forum in 1979 before it was called that. And Anna uh, has been a constant source of accountability, holding me to account, you know, holding me to my own values and integrity, but also, also saying you don't need to be so hard on yourself. And it was Anna who pointed out when I first got together with her um, and I was thinking about sort of getting back into being a scientist and she said, you should explore being an entrepreneur. I think I see that as your future, you know, and this is when we were early twenties. Uh, so, you know, I, she, 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 for me is one of, is, is a leader in my life, you know, and I, when, when, when the chips are down for me, I often, if I'm not with her, I will think about what would Anna say in this moment. And usually that's a North star for me. That's really moving. Um, Okay, I forgot my, <laughs> I forgot my <laughs> other question. Um, what was my other question? Ah, oh, damn it. Uh, I remember. So that was your favorite person. Amazing. Anna, I'd uh, love to meet her one day. Maybe I will. Yeah, I'm sure um, What's your intention and how did you get to your intention with Rise? So my intention with Rise initially started out as I, I saw that there was a problem with underutilization of really cool services like tennis and yoga and coaching and that there are a lot of people and health problems both physically and mentally in the world and there's a lot of unhappy people there are a lot of people who've got obesity cardiovascular diseases mental illness there's a lot of anxiety in the world and yet there's a lot of really cool stuff that can help people for me the medical western world doesn't crack that and hasn't and it has a place but it hasn't cracked that so my intention there was to create something that can bring that that market inefficiency together, bring some balance to the economics, which is why I set out building rise. You know, I wanted to just make it easier for people to access services, like I say, that make them happier and healthier. So it's a really simple, fundamental intention. I just I'd taken it from an idea to a you know a very basic designed concept that I started showing people on the tube, on the bus, I would, I would be in public places and I would just start talking to random people about this MVP that I had on my phone. Be like, Hey, I've got this idea. Um, this is what it is. What do you think? And you know, nine times out of 10 people would initially be a bit shocked. I'm like, why are you talking to me? And then be like, <laughs> wow, you're, you know, this is not, this is not the Metro in New York. This is, this is London. It's very different. People don't talk to each other. And, um, you know, the response was really amazing. One, seeing that people just love to be talked to and have conversations open up, but also people really responded quite well to the idea and everybody I spoke to had positive things to say about it. There was, there was one very, very clear day, mid-July and 2016. I had some, for my last job, some money in the bank till the end of the year. I just had my second son. I was taking an extended paternity leave and the, the, the career trajectory was to, you know, go and be a CEO of a tech company or COO, executive of a tech company. That was my next step. It's what I'd been doing previously. 
weirdly, what happened was on a Monday morning, I met a, a guy who was chairman of a software company that I'd partnered with in my last role. And he'd come over from Australia to bring his company to Europe. And he basically sat down in Costa Coffee in Oxford Circus and asked me if I knew a CEO that would, um, you know, that or a person that would join a CEO and take his company into Europe or an MD in Europe. Basically offered me the job there and then. You know, this was nine o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning. And I said to him, look, if you'd have asked me this question two days ago, I would have completely jumped at this. This is what I've been building towards for the last 10 years. But I've designed this app <laughs> and pulled my phone out and showed him. And I was like, and this might, I'm, I'm going to build this and take this out to market and do something with this. And um, slightly taken aback initially and then said, well, hey, my, my, my best friend from college has started a sports tech fund in Australia. You should speak to him. Um, so he introduced me to him and seven days later, that following Monday, I pitched him and that was our first investment. And that was in 2016. And that got us to, that got our initial build out, built a story, built, brought some high, pro, high profile people along with it. And essentially, you know, it was a launch pad to get us to where we are today, which is all, for all intents and purposes, you know, we've gone back to being a pre-revenue company, but we've got a really evolved business model that's really interesting and exciting a lot of people in the US and the UK. You know, and it all came about from that initial intention, but being really clear about it and, you know, saying that I don't want to be a CEO of another company, which was the offer on the table. So that was that. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here with goosebumps, like literally. Yeah. That was amazing. That was, that was uh, how that intention manifested itself into the world. That was amazing. Yeah, and this is what I mean. Playing credit for the universe conspires with you. The leader that ran my landmark, she would say that a lot as well. And I've heard other people say it. You know, it's true. You, you put an intention out there and the universe conspires with you. As my brother, Xavier, would say, chuck your hat over the wall or under the wall if you're Indiana Jones. You make that intention, you make that commitment, and then you go after it. And once the commitment's there, the commitment's there. Really cool. These two people you spoke with were they two people you, you wanted to bring on the rise team or what was the context yeah yeah they were and one of them's um general manager for a hundred million dollar software company um and was head of revenue for a and one of the biggest fintech companies a household brand and ultimately there should be no way he would come and work for us and the other the other guy who's um just a brilliant mind and a brilliant person I, I tried to bring him on to the, into the company previously a couple of years ago and we weren't in the right place. In fact, the intention wasn't there and we were, we'd gone through a dip and we were going through a pivot that was visible and it was quite shaky. But, you know, last week I was just, I'm very much keen on getting into the flow of things. And what I mean by that is when you start to realize that, you know, you just keep going, like people are going to come on board with you or they're not. And you shouldn't worry about the fact that they, they might not. So I, I put it to, to both of these guys and without pitching it and selling it to them, just explaining where we were and where we were going. Both saw a huge amount of potential in it and want to work out how they can move their current setups to, to come with me on this journey, which is cool. <laughs> You're saying it so like casually. <laughs> which is cool. cool. 
<laughs> that's like that's like huge. Well, it's that's, no, that's it's, it's huge, but it's not signed yet. So you know, we're mm. but they have yeah. made their intentions, both of them. That's like intentions translating into words that then impacts the world. I know you've been talking about language. Can you unpack language a little bit for me? Let's talk about it in relation to intention. So I have an intention that might turn into a, a commitment and my use of language takes that from an internal idea or concept into something that's in the real world because it allows me with one or more other people to take that concept and turn it into something that I have said and that then somebody else knows that I have said because they've heard it and they've heard me say that. That then forces me to either be accountable or it means that I'm aware that I'm not being accountable and not living up to my word. So this this concept of your words and how important it is 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 for me is everything. You know, without language, we would still be an unevolved species. The difference in language in language is at one end of the spectrum, an incredibly powerful person like Steve Jobs, or somebody who's unable to get them out of a a debt addiction. And if you look at powerful people and what they've done. What they have often done is they've often had a commitment or intention and then they've been quite vocal about that to the wide world and they've just kept on reiterating and reaffirming that intention. And that's something that I was really clear about when I started Rise, you know, when I brought those initial tranche of investors on. I said to them, look, I'm going to, what I'm doing here is I'm taking your money to go and build a global business. That's my, that's my, that's my game plan. And I meant it and I had no idea how I was going to succeed. And I still really don't. At one point we decided to close the consumer app down and rebuild the whole technology team, company, messaging, everything, recapitalize the business. And it was such a huge decision to not close down the business and the shareholders with it and start a new, a new company. And one of those investors, when I asked him on New Year's Eve in 2018, you know, I was like, what do you think I should do? And he said, you should shut the company down. We're all adults. You know, we, we all invested in this knowing it was super high risk. And the consumer app didn't work how you wanted it to work. You should shut it down and you should start something else as a new company and get the benefits of your SEIS investment and a uh, You know, if one failed startup behind you and, you know, just start afresh. And it was such an attractive, compelling idea. I can't say it was easy to go through that process. But what it came down to for me was integrity to what I'd said to my initial shareholders. I brought those people and their partners along for this on this journey. And they stopped for a moment in time and invested in me as a person and my idea and my word and it came down to that and I turned around and I said all right I'm not going to shut the business down we're going to revalue the business we're going to recapitalize the business and we're going to change the message using the existing brand and the existing DNA and we're going to build on this as a story and that was so that was you know a year and a half ago and we're you know building getting close to market now which is super cool language is important and it's great because when you put things out there 
and you're aware of what you put out there, then it's up to you how much you want to follow up on your word or not. It's so key, like just being one's word. That is something I am constantly holding myself up against. Being a father, started my own podcast and training to climb the Half Dome in Yosemite. And it is so exciting, but also I need to catch myself, honor my word to myself, because otherwise on a Thursday night after a long day of work at 10 p.m. and the kids is to bed and I've finished all my work, doing 50 pull-ups is not the most attractive thing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> completely. No, and I understand that. And you can start to, you know, figure out what your priorities are. And I think still sometimes it's okay to go, okay, well, that didn't work, you know, what are your priorities? If your priority one is your health and well-being and your kids, sometimes you can just overcommit and we can do that as humans. And part of the process is figuring out why you're overcommitting and what your priorities are in life. Language is, language is super cool. And, you know, we're, this whole notion of word integrity, professionalism, you see it everywhere. You see it in the professional world. And usually what I see with really effective board members or executives is they usually do what they're going to say. So if they say something, they'll do it. The ineffective ones who are the ones that say something and then don't. And it's really that simple. And, you know, we see it with our kids. You know, they keep their deals or they break their deals or they keep their promises and they break their promises. And it's such an interesting thing to observe with people um, and then seeing how that plays out or how it doesn't in terms of workability. I feel like I can go on for hours here with you, James. I have a couple of uh, rapid fire questions lined up that I'd love to shoot your way. And the first question is, uh, what am I not asking you that you'd like to talk about? I, don't, I think we're talking about everything that I want to be talking about. This is a good, uh, this is good. Well, that, that means we did our job. We did our job well, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, perhaps one thing, we talked a bit about intentions and how that translates into language and commitments and actions. Now, some people are very good at this and others are not. What holds us back and what unleashes this realization or these intentions? It's, it's a really good question. I think a lot of it just comes down to fear um, and awareness of fear or our relationship with fear. You know, fear is such a, a stifling, limiting emotion. It can really hold us back from, from playing big, from going for those big goals. And whether the big goals are relative, you know, they are the relative, they are your thing. You know, it might for one person, it might be climbing a mountain. For another person, it might be starting a, a company. For another person, it might be getting back in touch with, you know, uh, an excommunicated family member that they haven't spoken to. Um, or, you know, approaching that girl on the other side of the office who could make you happy for the rest of your life. And um, so I think... A lot of it comes down to fear. Fear obviously relates to a whole range of things like, am I good enough? What will happen if I fail? What will people think about me? I think if people can start to understand that apart from fear in the sense of survival, you know, in the desert or in, in a, in a, in a, surrounded by sharks, a lot of the time you just need to call bullshit on it. That's very different from saying, okay, let's take a very clear risk calculation on this scenario. But being run by fear or not being aware of how much fear is taking a, uh, ha having an impact on your daily life. Um, you know, that ability to get outside your own box, I think is really, really important, you know, and will, to your words, allow you to unleash. 
another good rabbit hole we could keep diving into. I'm going to skip ahead to the next question here. What book have you gifted most and why? Ooh, that's a really good question. There's probably a handful of books that I've read that I gift quite a lot. Um, one of them is a book called Lab Rats by Dan Lyons. It was a New York Times bestseller. It is about it's about this concept of capitalism 2.0, but it takes a particular set of case studies in Silicon Valley, West Coast, venture capital, ballooned tech companies, and it looks at that mentality and the yo bro mentality um, versus you know the progressive mindset company <laughs> that's looking for long-term sustainable goals. Um, so I recommend that to pretty much everybody that I meet and speak to because it's brilliant. That's number one. Um, number two is doesn't have to be crazy at work, which is which is a base camp book, and I love the base camp books; they're brilliant. Um, and for very similar reasons, you know, it just describes that a workplace can be really highly performant and attract investors like Jeff Bezos to invest money into that company without being running 120 hour weeks and having, you know, crazy delivery outputs and having SoftBank, you know, backing them. Um, so yeah, so, so, so the Basecamp books are, are great for that. And then weirdly and conversely, another book that I recommend is Ayn Rand, um, Atlas Shrugged, which is probably the best book I've ever read. It's, you know, it's 900 pages of economics, philosophy, incredible storytelling you know, the changing industrial age. And that for me was a life-changing book, incredibly powerful. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions of people, what would it say and why? It would say, be happy, look at what you have, life is short. And that might be a bit saccharine. And for a lot of people, they don't have that much, but I think if you look at the beauty around you, you know, you can find a beauty, you can find beauty in a lot of things. And the Western world particularly is very caught up in running around and chasing, chasing the paycheck, you know, and just pausing sometimes is a good thing. What is the best investment you've ever made? Look, anything that I invest into into self-awareness, personal development, relationships, both in terms of time and money into like individual coaching or therapy or courses or seminars or educational platforms like Landmark. You know, I'm not going to pick one because I practice TM, Transcendental Meditation. There's, there's been a time and money investment into that that was into Landmark. You know, I've invested money and time into developing how I think about relationships with people, you know, and that's, that's ongoing. And, you know, I will continue to invest into those sort of things. Um, if I insist, can I get you to pick one of them? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can insist. Um, can I pick one of them? Um, I can't, no, no, I can't give you one because the two, the two that have affected my life the most, and it'll be hard to give you. So, so one is Landmark and two is TM, 
both have a significant impact on my life every day. If we could cover any topic on this podcast, what topic would you recommend and who would you like hearing speaking about it? I would like you to get one of the Basecamp founders to talk about what they think is going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years in the tech world, but particularly in the VC and the investment and the funding community and where they see that going in the light of things like we and the we company and other large tech stories that we, we know of of recent having their their view would be pretty interesting awesome what's the best way for listeners to connect with you they can connect with me at james at rise.today what's the call to action we have here for the listeners i really like what you guys are up with with rise and i understand it's a it's a platform bringing companies closer to well-being practices may that be sports meditation yoga whatever uh, so bringing companies closer to those so if if, if i'm a company uh, or how, how would you phrase it like what's the typical type of of companies you would work so with? we work we're, we're size and industry agnostic we're a tech marketplace it's a consumer experience we're about discovery and payment of services in fitness health and well-being And we work with SMBs, startups, but also corporates as well. So if you're interested in the well-being of your people and you want to give them a tech platform that delights them, they can use, you really want to invest in your, your well-being, then go to rise.today, fill out the very short form, and you'll receive an email from me. Perfect. Now, lastly, the name of this podcast is Masses of Grit. I love What's... the title, by the way. It's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I I use this title because grit is commonly understood, but I actually think there that grit is not a first principle. Yeah. I think authenticity and integrity is some of the key ingredients is going into grit. What's the one key advice you'd give to listeners to help them become masters of grit and realize their full potential? My advice would be to take the time to pause in your life wherever, you know, whatever moment you're at and, and take, take a decent amount of time to really reflect and think about what it is that you want to do with your life. And then when you get to a point where you're clear, figure out if you're really super clear about it and then go after it, you know, put, put it out there, put it out there to your partner here, you know, listen and observe to what that sounds like and then repeat it. And if, it, if you're really clear that that's your intent, then just start to make it happen. You know, you nobody really knows how to make things happen, but they just say they're going to do something and then they go after it and make it happen. And you'll figure it out. You know, trust in yourself. I had a coach who just said to me once, don't second guess yourself, just go. And it was the best piece of advice I'd ever had. It just triggered something in me. It was so simple. And we can get caught up in listening to uh, the devil on our shoulder. Instead of doing that, don't. Put the intention out there and just go. Great advice. So James, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening in. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.